Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road. And hopefully the sound of my voice has things going well for you. And I know I use the same introduction all the time, but I sincerely mean that in my heart. I mean, life is so challenging, and especially agriculture. And a lot of people don't recognize that, you know, that farmers, uh, they have a regular life also everything else happens to them it's just not it's not like the 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 trials and tribulations of life pass them by just because they have the trials and tribulations of agriculture and i'm not saying that no one else has those trials also but it really is a unique walk when you are working with the land and working with god's creation to try to not only feed the world but to also to provide a living for yourself and your family. So it's 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 very, 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 very challenging. But the interesting thing is that we would not change it for the world. Right? We would change the challenges, but we would not change it for the world. And like I always say to my wife is that, um, you know, the nail in the road does not know that you're going to a funeral. A nail in the road does not know that you're taking someone to the hospital and goes in the tire and gives you a flat tire. So as we are well into the planting season in most areas, other than over here and where I am, and I guess a lot of parts of the country also, is that I wish you everyone a, a safe and blessed, blessed planting season. And may the good Lord bring rain to those areas that need rain. And may they may bring sunshine to those areas that need sunshine and for the rains to stop. So uh, that is my blessing and my prayer for all of you. And regardless of whether you're in agriculture or not, I ask for the same, the Lord to bless you in the same way because you have your own rainstorms and your own droughts, but they're different. They're different than in farming. So that is that. And I want to, uh, I, got a, I, I got a new pin in my map and I want to thank Mr. I got my paper here, Brian Sanson. S-A-N-S-O-N, he's from upstate New York, and I I announced him on the radio show the other day, well, like, uh, my Sirius XM show, because anybody who gives me a pin in my map gets announced both on the radio show and a podcast, but uh, I really killed the name of his town, so I'm not, I'm just going to say he's from New York State, and I should really probably do that uh, a little bit more often that if I'm going to kill a person's the name, well, the, the name of the town I usually don't kill, but I usually kill a person's last name. But the reason for why I try to include the name of the town, because that's the whole premise of this, right? For me to have a pin in my map, and I have a pin in my map where Mr. San, San Sun lives and where he hangs his hat. But uh, in this particular instance, I, cru- I really just butchered up the name of the town. So it sounded like it was native american and a lot of that area of new york state has a lot of native native american names or and, and lineage so it is um, it's very very good so thank you so much for the pin in the map and then i have two winners that i need to announce and i need you guys to reach out to me the winners so that i could get your mailing addresses because i don't have your mailing addresses and as i always say lots of times i can't find your email address which is my own incompetence so but mr Corey dombrowski and he's from lehigh acres florida and if I recall, Mr. Dombrowski works as a uh, researcher 
in a seed company, vegetable seed company down there in Florida. And I think they have a branch someplace else in California, maybe. But Mr. Dombrowski is down in Florida. And then Mr. Adam Joachim, Joachim, and he's from the complete as Mr. Dombrowski's down as far south as you could go in the United States this week. And then Mr. Joachim is up in Alaska. Naknet, Naknet, I think it's Alaska, if I wrote it correctly. And uh, my my handwriting is atrocious. I mean, that's it's terrible. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was a little kid, and I was in, I think it was second or third grade, I had it, I may have shared this with you before, I had a, a teacher, Miss Adnesio, and she was a young teacher, and uh, I kind of understand that now because my wife is a kindergarten teacher, but it wasn't kindergarten, I think it was second grade, but she was new to teaching, and uh, she had us write something or do something, and then we had to bring it up to show her at her desk, and I remember I brought it up very proudly, and she and she looked at it, and she said to me, Raymond, she always called me Raymond. I guess that's because it was my legal name. Raymond, your handwriting is atrocious. And I never heard of it. It's like in first or second grade. I don't know what the word atrocious means. So I, I applied conventional, I, I applied critical thinking, not conventional wisdom, critical thinking. Well, if it must be a big word like this, it must mean my handwriting is really fantastic, great. So I go to her very proudly. I go, thank you, Mrs. Adnesio. And she got mad as a wet hornet, and she called. She, I don't, I don't think the teachers called your mother back then. I think she wrote a note. I don't remember because she thought I was being a wise guy. I didn't know what atrocious was, but my handwriting is still atrocious. And to tell you the truth, if Miss, if Miss Adonisio saw it right now, she'd really go nuts because it was probably better in second or third grade. It's like chicken scratch. Half the time I write, I can't look at it, read it myself. But anyway, knack neck Alaska. So Mr. Joachim, Adam, and Corey from Florida, Adam from Alaska, I will with great pride send you a hot rod farmer license plate and this will be the first one going to Florida, but this is also going to be the first one going to Alaska, and I'm really excited about that. No disrespect, Corey, but I've always dreamt and dreamt about going to Alaska, so a little bit of a hot rod farmer will be in Alaska, so please, please, please just reach out to me. Send me an email at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and give me your mailing address, and if you want to get into the drawing, you could either do that or the best thing to do is to go to my website, farmmachinerydigest.com, and Susan Moore, my my art director, made a nice little form to enter the contest. And you fill the form out, and then I will have your name, I will have your address, I will have your email address, I will have everything, and it will. And moving forward, if you win, then you will be able. I will have everything, and you could just go to your mailbox and. Your hot rod formal license plate will be there. They're ready. So that is uh, that is that. And the other thing I want to tell you is that um, some of you may listen to it and some of you may not. And uh, and uh, well, for whatever I mean, for whatever reason. But I do a podcast called On the Road, and uh, and it's always going to be titled like On the Road to whoever the person is. And it's something. In, and I know a lot of you have listened. And it's on all, on my website, all the podcast hosting sites. 
and it's always it will be on the road to Joe Schmo, whoever whoever that person happens to be. And I only I only have people on there that are passionate. They have to be passionate, as I say, either about firing orders or farming, farming or firing orders. So machinery, engines, or agriculture. You don't have to be famous. Some people were well, you know, quasi-famous or, or you know, <clears throat> very well known within their community, their industry. I'm using the term community as an industry, not necessarily where they live. And some of them, no one knows about them, all right? And so it makes no difference. It's the passion that you have to have. So just the other day, I did a on-the-road episode, and I'm going to start to do those a little bit more. I got behind on them because it has to be the right person. I'm not just pulling people out of the phone book and saying, hey, do you like cars? Do you like farming? Come on in there. And uh, we want to get you on the show. And But I was blessed to be able to do an episode with Matt Hagen. And if you don't know who Matt Hagen is, that's fine. But he is a three-time current three-time world champion nhra nitro burning funny car driver and he's also a farmer he farms 3400 acres down in virginia they have a cow calf operation and he runs about 14 head of cattle and he grows his own crops and what have you but he's a uh, so he kind of fits in both but i reached out to him he was so excited he was genuinely sincerely excited about being on the show and it was the first on the road episode that i did over the telephone because i always felt that i wanted to be there and meet the people if i didn't know them see them and just whatever i thought it was better but i've also realized that i'm going to be doing some telephone and i'm, I'm gonna and they're not they're not interviews i tell people they're a conversation they're a conversation between me and whoever that person is that they're passionate about farming or firing orders because i'm passionate about all both of them so anyway i got hooked up i hooked up with matt hagan and i have to tell you one thing that that show is up now i encourage all of you to listen to it it's 74 minutes long those usually go long about like idle chatter does maybe a little bit shorter but i just great guy honest from the heart uh he and i you know we we clicked we clicked right from when i the way my soundboard is set up i have to call the person as soon as he picked up the phone said hello we both clicked uh, brutally honest with everything tells about his life as a funny car driver how he got there because that's really what it's about it's a people story it's not like well, okay what do you set the cam at or how much you know how much you know what what's the setting for the clutch or the, for the falling kind of suspension it's not about that it's a people story and uh he told me about his he, he, he shared about his brother that passed away just just really really and there's a, a and he's a lot of pearls of wisdom for life you don't need to drive a funny car and you don't need to farm but he does both of them and i just want to encourage you and i and i i i just really like the guy and i don't like the guy because he's famous all right just say it's not because he's a famous the guy's a major sports figure all right and within auto racing and and i don't like him because of that i like him because who he is so i invite you to listen to it it's gonna it's on the road to matt hagan he did it he did it he did it right from his pickup truck and uh it was a great great it was a blessing to have him on the show and to tell and to bring his story of his life and how he got involved with drag racing and he's and 
and I believe that you will perceive this right after the first 30 seconds, is that he is a humble man, and that's why I like him. Not that he's a world champion funny car driver. It's He's a humble man, and his successes and everything that, it's, that he's been blessed with in his life has not gone to his head whatsoever. And when somebody could be that way, that really is a credit. So uh, check that out. It's on the road to Matt Hagen. You don't have to listen to it this week, but when you're out there working or whatever, I think that you will enjoy it. And, is, and he started his farm from nothing, absolutely nothing. He had, didn't have a farm. They they grew up out in the country, but he didn't have a farm. He bought a hundred acres, and now he's doing thirty four hundred acres, and he's he's working. I mean, it's not like it's a gentleman farm. He drives the so he he calls himself a full time farmer and a part time funny car driver. So check it out and let me know whether you enjoyed it. All right. So that is that, and let me see what else I got over here. All right, that's it. <clears throat> okay, show's over. No, uh, but. I want to tell you a little bit about today's show, but like everything in my life, I got to give you a backstory, right? Because uh, when people ask me things, I say, well, you know, that's that's a long story because in in my life, on the road to me, is that everything seems to be a long story. It was never a shortcut to anything. <laughs> so it was always, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to Pennsylvania via Oklahoma from New Jersey. But any, so back... You know, when I started this, when I started the podcast and I started the website, I I knew nothing. I still know nothing about social media. And if someone is really enamored with social media, God bless you. I'm not saying this in a derogatory sense, but I I really had no interest in social media whatsoever. Twitter, Facebook, I didn't even know how to get. I knew nothing. I knew nothing about it whatsoever. And then everybody was telling me, and you know, the metaphorical everybody is that, oh, you have to be on Twitter. You have to be on Twitter. If you're going to have an agricultural podcast, most farmers are on Twitter. So my goal, and uh, it may have been selfish. I'm not going to deny that. My goal was to get on Twitter. And when I started the, the podcast, Idle Chatter, a few years back, get on Twitter and start to interface with people and figure out how to do it and what have you. And, uh, and and you know i wanted to get the word out about my show and then if people embraced it they did and if they didn't embrace it well obviously it's their prerogative but i felt i needed to do something because otherwise you're doing a podcast and if you're sending it out into the world and no one knows it exists it's like a book that's never been read right or a movie that's never been a script that was thrown in the drawer and never be made into a movie so I got involved with that, didn't know what the heck I was doing whatsoever. I started to, I guess it was follow people or something. And I I remember I got my first follower. I was like, wow, I was excited. And I'm looking at these people and they have, you know, 3,000 followers, 4,000 followers. And so I'm following people and nobody, no one is following me back. And so eventually <laughs> I still never got the hang of it because there's that thing hashtag that I still don't understand what that means. I know it looks like a pound symbol. But I think I got up to like 3,000 or 3,500 followers and over time. And, uh, and it was, I mean, it, it, I, met some, I met some great people, met some jerks like anything in life. But anyway, and then I got involved. Then that kind of died off. It seemed that, that the uh, Twitter thing was waning. I got to the party when it was too late, maybe a year later. And then there was other things, Instagram, which I didn't know how to do that, or TikTok. And I really wasn't interested in learning that, and it wasn't something I was going to be passionate about. And then I got on Facebook. Somebody said to me to go on Facebook. So I said, I got on Facebook. Then the Facebook actually 
uh, connected me, believe it or not, it connected me with a lot of people who used to read me or raid me in the car magazines for years. So that was a really blessing because a lot of those people, I was they they reached us, oh, I've been reading you for years, I've been watching you on TV and Successful Farming. So I got involved with that. And I was doing the Twitter and the Facebook a little bit. And then whatever, it, whatever it was, it was, or who knows? I don't know whether it was, but I met, a, I met nice people and I, I was able to connect more through Facebook than through Twitter. I was able to connect with people who had read me, and I'm saying that humbly, read me, and it gave me the opportunity to thank them for reading me. Because this, in so many ways, this is it's truly, hey, I, you know, I got a microphone, and it goes out. And if I don't communicate, if the people don't communicate back with me, I have no idea who they are. And I don't even know whether they, you know, they like what I'm doing. They may think it stinks. So... And then what had happened, I mean, everybody who listens to this knows my political feelings, and this is not a political show, but it's part of the story. And then after January 20, 20th or 21st, 2021, or you do the math and whatever, if that date means nothing to you, wonderful. If it does, you know, I said, I'm getting off of Facebook, I'm getting off of Twitter, and I just canceled everything out and was never... It was never happier. That stuff could really suck time, all right, because I had an onus where I feel that if someone contacts me or sends me a message, I'm old school, that I think it's very disrespectful not to respond back to them. You don't have to write a thesis, but say thank you or yes, that's what this is. And, and you know, even with my column, I know some of you people listen uh, <clears throat> from Hem- Reed Hemming's Muscle Machines or some of the other magazines, and, you know, people write me letters to my column and ask, Ray, and contractually i only have to i cannot i'm not i can't i only answer six of them and uh because they don't want to give more and sometimes only four or five depending upon how long the response is but i wish i could answer them all but even with the six of them that i answer every month lots of times they never end up getting into the magazine it has nothing to do with me but the people they i send it to, to, to hemmings up in vermont and because the way the magazine laid out or they sold another ad that they ended up cutting a letter or two and i feel very badly about that and i've tried to steer some of the people from that column ask ray have come to the podcast and our listeners and and you know, i don't want to, the people think i'm disrespecting them but I feel, like I said, so I'm old school, and I feel that somebody who reaches out to me, I'm, I'm even nice to tell a marketers. And I'm just saying, look, I know you're trying to make a living, but I'm not interested in that, and you really, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I got other things I do. Goodbye. Wish you all the best luck in the world. So anyway, so that's why I said it, that social media could suck a lot of time. So I got off of that. I was happy I got off of it. And then what had happened was that about, uh, when I came back from Commodity Classic, which is not that long ago, it was the middle of March, so uh, a little bit more than a month ago, people have been telling me to go on LinkedIn as like a business social media. So I said, ah, I don't know. So anyway, so I, I went on LinkedIn and started to do some 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 interaction with LinkedIn. And far as far as business is concerned, and because um, you know business makes the world go round i'm not one of those people who think that business is bad is the world that that's probably a much better medium for me than facebook or or twitter was facebook or twitter i could i could potentially connect with audience members whereas on the linkedin thing you, you're more dealing with business people 
and uh, corporate people or what have you. So uh, so I started to get involved a little bit with that, and I think I have 300, 327, 327 connections, like the Chevy small block motor, good motor. People didn't realize the 327 was a much better engine than the 350. Of course, the rod to stroke ratio was better. But anyway, so so I you know, did, I'm doing that, and, and the point that I'm telling you all of this about is that there's a lot of people on there and it's almost laid out like a twitter so i fumble my way through it i really don't understand it and uh, whatever i'm not that much better with it than was with twitter but the the thing is that what the impetus why i'm telling you all of this is that the current ruling now president trump had put in for year-round e15 two or three years ago at to e15 gasoline and uh, and it was, and he signed a, he signed a uh, whatever executive order or whatever you call it for that, and then it never really came to fruition because that 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 guy could have said that whatever that December twenty fifth is Christmas, and they would have sued him or blocked them in court. So, so even though he signed it, and the agricultural and the ethanol, the biofuels industry got very excited about it, and rightfully so is that it never really came to fruition. And now the current resident or occupant, is probably a better word, of the White House signed something for E15 year-round uh, because of the price of fuel and the price of everything. So uh, to try to get the cost down at the pump and everybody is ballyhooing it. So, so the segue I'm telling you this is that this is now a lot of a buzz on LinkedIn about E15. And... Now, going backwards a little bit, and I don't want to come across as a wise guy because there's, there's more things in life that I don't know than I know, but I do happen to have a, a pretty good understanding, not the best understanding of how an engine runs. I have a pretty good understanding of fuels, of octane, and the combustion process in a gasoline engine. So, so that's that. You know, that is the deal. And you having all of these people on Twitter not twitter or linkedin might as well be twitter is that uh they're all talking about e15 and i understand look let me get this clear number one i am a huge proponent of the biofuels industry and i've said this before another podcast when i spoke about ethanol and the gasoline and a few months ago and i'm not against it i'm a pro i'm, I'm a fan of it i'm a proponent of it but the fact of the matter is 99% of the people who are out there talking about it don't know what they're talking about, and they latch on to a word, octane, and they latch on to that like a junkyard dog with a bone. They don't even know what the heck it really means, and if they got, if they looked up the definition, they, they, they repeat it like a parrot, just... just it just it's it's rote repetition of a sentence and they don't know what the heck it means so you know these people talking about oh i'm using you know e30 and i'm getting better mileage and i got one e0 and i get this and that so my show today a half hour into it is not going to be that long but what i'm going to do is that i am not going to repeat what i've said before because I spoke about ethanol and what have you, and beat it. But the show today is debunking the myth of octane. 
And you know, I went back and forth with some of these people, not argumentatively back and forth, but you would tend to think that the ethanol biofuel, and, I don't, and I'm, I'm really hoping that somebody from the biofuels industry is listening to this. And I'm actually going to put it out on LinkedIn. They won't listen, I guarantee you. They won't listen whatsoever because they got these people and all they're worried about is their job, all right? Well, if you're worried about your job, do your job and learn about your job. You don't have to be an expert on it. You don't have to have a PhD, but learn your do- job and do your job. And if you are trying to sell a fuel based upon octane, all right, and, and now because the price point of, of gasoline is so high, they're coming in and trying to sell it. And that's a viable, viable business model. All right, you're gonna, it's going to be 30, 40 cents a gallon cheaper. But all their mantra is is octane. You're getting more octane for your for your nickel, more octane, more octane. And then they're saying, "I wish the car companies." And this is all going in on LinkedIn with these people who represent the industry, the biofuels industry, the biofuels industry. I won't mention who it was. A few years back, sponsored. All right where they got the money from by taking the money from the poor corn farmers they sponsored an nhra pro stock car and it said you know e85 ethanol on the side or some kind of crap like that a ethanol or or what have you i'm not against ethanol but that thing ain't running on e85 it ain't it's not i'm using improper english to drive my point home it ain't running on that it's running on vp spec fuel from nhra which don't have a drop of ethanol in it so here it is, they're going over here and they're spending all this money with this you know, this race car and saying drag race car and anybody who knows anything is laughing at them. And now they're doing the same thing with this, oh, we got the octane, we got the octane, we got the octane. Now, so what today's show is going to be about in brief is I am going to debunk oct- the need for octane. All right? I'm going to debunk it very simply, and hopefully somebody from the ethanol industry is listening. And the reason why I want them to listen is because I care, and it's tough love. I care about agriculture. I care about America. I care about the environment. But if you're out there promoting a fuel based upon octane, all right, and the savings at the pump, and and not delivering the true story with it, all right, then the thing basically is, is that i don't want to say it's fake news it's uh, i don't know what the heck it is to be quite honest with you and it's quite frustrating because you put these i mean the one person that i had a banter with I, it wasn't an argument everybody's very nice <clears throat> the thing is that you know one thing about about linkedin you could go on there and you could see the person's background or i put nothing on mine i am what i am what difference does it make what i did 40 years ago all right, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Either what I'm doing today makes a difference. So these people put their educational background on it and they and they put all this, and they really don't even care for the most part about the companies they work for. They're just trying to pump themselves up. But anyway, and so I looked at this guy and I'm having a dialogue with him. And before he worked for this, this ethanol company, which I will not name, because I'm sure the guy's a nice guy. I got nothing against him. All right, the guy was a manager of a, of a chain of sandwich shops. Now, that doesn't mean because you're a manager chain that you can't know anything about ethanol or anything about gasoline or anything about engines. I'm not implying that whatsoever. But obviously, from his comments and what he writes, he don't have a clue, all right, and he's promoting ethanol. 
All right, so they're all talking octane. So today I'm debunking the need for octane. Now, the thing is that when an engine is developed, a gasoline engine is developed, and they do, and I'm talking about a modern engine, not back in 1968. When a gasoline engine is developed today, all right, the thing is that the goal is to make it very octane tolerant. And I don't care how you get that octane, whether it's through ethanol, whether it's iso octane, whether through whatever, whether you're, you're, you're putting a pizza juice in there, it makes no difference. You're talking about octane because the definition of octane is the fuel's ability to resist combustion through pressure and or heat and wait for the arcing of the spark plug. So no auto combustion. It's got to wait for that ionization voltage to come from the coil, that ionization to happen as it jumps the gap of the spark plug. So the, the higher the octane fuel, the more pressure or heat that it could withstand. Just like if you have a one-ton pickup truck, it could carry more weight than a half-ton pickup truck. So if you have arguably 100-octane fuel, and I did other shows, you could look in the archives, about the AKI R plus M research plus motor octane divided by two, which is the AKI anti-knock index. So we're not going there. We're talking about debunking the need for octane. So the, so the thing is that an engine, the goal of every engine designer today, and what I mean by today is the past 30, 25, 30 years, when electronic engine controls really came into play, all right, is that, and not only electronic engine controls, that we advanced engine development, is that to have a lot of octane tolerance. And what octane tolerance means is that the engine is not sensitive to octane. It doesn't, it's not octane hungry, all right, when you say it's octane hungry, it means it needs a lot of octane. And if it doesn't have a lot of octane, then what will happen or is that you will have a, if you don't have sufficient octane is the best way for me to say it, you'll have what is called an abnormal combustion event, depending upon when that that event starts, whether it starts pre-ignition or post-ignition, it's going to be identified differently. All right, but that is what it's all about. So octane is the fuels to resist combustion through pressure or heat, all right, regardless if it's pre-ignition or post-ignition. That means pre means before the initiation of the arcing of the spark plug, and post-ignition means that a rogue flame front started after the spark plug arced, all right? So that is the job of octane. So the job of an engine designer is to be able to have an engine that is not octane sensitive, that it doesn't want a lot of octane, that it could run in, in the United States here in Canada, in North America, 87 octane for the most part is a base, is what we call a regular grade fuel. Maybe get up into the into the higher elevations, it's 85 or 86, but for, more, for, for the most part, it's 87 octane. So your whole goal as an engine designer is to make a lot of power, have great fuel economy, low emissions, and do it on 87 octane. And the fact of the matter is they are doing it. All right, and one of the things when it comes to an engine, the basic tenant of an internal combustion engine is that the higher the compression ratio, then the more thermally efficient the engine becomes. And that's one of the reasons why a diesel is more efficient, thermally efficient, because the they have a higher compression ratio and also the fuel has more BTU of energy. But we're just going to talk compression ratio. So if you take two engines, all right, whatever they may be, 
two engines. You put 10 to 1 in a 9 to 1 compression in one engine and 11 to 1 compression in the same. The, you build another engine the same, but you build it 11 to 1 compression instead of instead of 9 to 1. The engine with the more compression is going to be more thermally efficient. The chemical to mechanical energy exchange, it's going to use more of that energy of that is the BTU of energy and that's fuel to convert it to work. That's a law of physics that's well established. We're not going to belabor it here. All right. So that is that. Now, the thing basically is that your goal is to be able to run high compression engines on low octane fuel to not be octane hungry but engineering they say octane sensitive for the show say octane hungry so if you look at my fiesta my little my little lowly ford fiesta it's 11 to 1 compression ratio on 87 octane all right so now these people on twitter on on i keep calling it twitter because it is like a twitter linkedin are going oh the car company should build high compression engines so that we could use more ethanol in the gas well buddy there's been high compression ratio engines for the past 10 or 15 years if not longer all right if you look at even the forced induction engines like the ford eco boost some of the chevy what they call them Ecotechs, they were i don't even know what they call them now Ford have been constant with the name. You look at some of these engines, you look at the Mazda Sky Active, all right? Most Ford EcoBoost engines, you could buy you could buy uh, an EcoBoost in a, in a whatever, a little Escape. It's 10, 10 and a half to one with Turbo Boost on top of it. That was unheard of years ago, all right? When I worked for the Buick dealer, Grand Nationals came out, they were eight to one, all right, with, uh, with, with a turbocharger, the old 2.2 chryslers and the mitsubishis were eight to one but anyway so the thing is that you look at a mustang you look at you look at a, a minivan you look at a, a chevy pickup truck these motors of some of these motors and if it's a performance car like a mustang or a vet or a porsche these things are running 12 12.8 to 1 compression almost 13 to 1 compression on pump gas so this yo-yo is out there on the linkedin yelling that it's the oil car companies they should build high compression engines so we could use ethanol gas well the whole idea the whole premise and i'm repeating it i'm a farmer i love america i love agriculture i love ethanol gas but the, but if you're saying that the car companies should build high compression engines to take advantage of ethanol then you really never even know you you have no idea what has been happening the past 10 or 15 years so all right so that's basically that the other thing that they're stating is that the octane is going to give you fuel economy now that's a partially correct statement but if it's giving you fuel economy, that is because the engine was experiencing an abnormal combustion event. All right, so when you when an engine experiences an abnormal combustion event, efficiency is going to go down. All right, and we decided it shows on 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 abnormal combustion. Oxides of nitrogen are going to spike. All right, and the engine is is not going to produce as much power all right that that i mean that's a fact but the whole idea is to be able to build an engine that as i said is not octane hungry so if you have an engine that left the factory that is not octane hungry by design all right then and now it starts to become octane hungry 
then that's like you saying a person saying, well, something changed, all right? Something changed inside that engine. Just like you'd say, boy, years ago, I used to be able to read the signs on the road, and now I got to get glasses to read the sign, to read the highway signs. Well, your eyes changed. And what happens inside an engine is that the people are not, and there's the most common cause for you, for, for an engine to become octane hungry today the most common cause is carbon deposits built up on the valves ivd intake valve deposits ccd combustion chamber deposits and those carbon deposits i'm not going to get into the whole theory of it i've done that before the carbon deposits are making the engine require more octane to have a normal combustion event all right in lieu of an abnormal combustion event so it's historically it's carbon deposits in the engine and also because these engines have been all fuel injected for the past 35 years all right fuel injected is that you have dirty fuel injectors and or an issue and usually it's deposits on the injectors that are not atomizing the fuel properly and you're and you're and you're having a uneven fuel distribution in the cylinder so cylinder four may have good distribution I mean, none of them have good distribution all right because the injectors are dirty and they're not atomizing the fuel properly so the thing basically is, is that if you look at an engine so this one guy said to him well, what you have to do is you have to use a scan tool and this is bantering being back and forth wasting my time on linkedin and uh bantering back and forth and going well i said you have to look at a scan tool you have to look at doc retard so this guy comes back to me and like i said i'm sure they're very nice people and if this is coming across derogatorily i do not mean it to be he says oh all engines have uh, have knock retard in them <laughs> that's like saying everybody in the nursing home has gray hair all right or everybody in the cemetery is dead all right if you're saying that then you know nothing about calibration you know nothing about engines so i tried to explain to him when you do a calibration on an engine you use what is called a feed forward approach and a feed forward approach means that you you want to have your calibration to be dead dead nuts on all right maybe it's not a nice term to use right on the money all right and not and not bounce off the correction you don't use the oxygen sensor when you're writing a fuel calibration or use a knock sensor when you're writing ignition calibration to correct for your sloppiness all right so that's like saying well i don't balance my checkbook i keep throwing money in there so the checks don't bounce i have no idea what's going on so a feed forward approach in a feed forward approach that anytime that there's a feedback system i don't care whether it's on your grain dryer or on your auto steer which is basically feedback is that you want to write the calibration and in engine parlance we'd call it the tune-up or does it mean changing the spark plugs the tune-up the cal engineering why you call it cal hot rod guy you call it um, you'd call it the tune-up is that you want to have that fuel delivery and that spark advance curve right for every operating scenario and then the oxygen sensor as far as fuel is concerned and the knock sensor which is a piezoelectric accelerometer it's electronic tuning fork listens for for an abnormal combustion event and then pulls timing out 
to quench that event, but the abnormal event has to happen first. It can't anticipate. Oh, I think you know, uh, ten seconds from now, this engine is going to have an abnormal combustion event. So it it has to correct from something that already happened. So a so when you write a calibration for an engine, or you're writing a software or something like that, you want to use a feed forward approach. You want zero correction because if you have your tables correct and they're your cal tables, all right, your math correct, there's zero correction, like balancing your checkbook. The checks aren't bouncing, all right. So that so you want zero correction. So this guy's telling me, well, so I said to him, well, and we're going back. Like I said, I'm repeating. It's not. By no means is it aggressive or name-calling or nasty. But by somebody saying that, they know nothing about calibration. So yes, so if you have a motor that's an engine that's loaded up with carbon, you have a dirty mass airflow sensor, you have dirty injectors, you maybe have a slight air leak or whatever, <clears throat> let's just stay with the carbon up valves and the dirty injectors. <laughs> excuse me and you have an engine that left the left the factory that was calibrated to run a feed forward calibration not evoking any knock retard on 87 octane fuel and now you go to the pump and you buy an ethanol blend that's that has 98 octane or 97 whatever the number may be i don't know you put e30 in it and and you get better fuel economy and the car runs better i'm not going to deny that all right because you know, that's real. But what you have to look at, it's not the octane, all right? That's like putting your finger in a vice and then tightening up your finger in a vice and then taking painkillers and keep taking painkillers until the finger doesn't hurt you anymore. Your finger's still in the, in the vice. So if you have an engine that was calibrated to leave the factory without an abnormal combustion event and run on 87 octane, and now it requires a higher octane, whether you get that through ethanol or iso-octane, however you get that, and it likes it, and you get better fuel economy and it runs better, it's only because it is deteriorated to the point because a lack of maintenance on your part, you have gray hair. All right, you, the engine got gray hair. It's all gray. All right, the gray, old gray mare ain't what she used to be. It's not, so yes, in that particular instance, just like a person may say, "Well, I need glasses now to see what I was able to see 20 years ago without glasses." Not denying it. All right, so I'm trying to explain to him that octane is not the key to everything octane on today's modern engines i mean unless you're buying something like a hellcat or what have you today's modern engines that you know that really has a high specific output but that was tuned for higher octane you're not going to put 87 in there all right so the thing is that if you go and if you so if the owner's manual of the of the vehicle says that you know to run 91 or 92 octane that that means that that calibration was tuned for 91 or 92 whatever octane my fiesta says 87 octane all right so my cal is for 87 octane the thing is that now if i put a scanner in my obd2 port and i'm going down the road and i'm seeing i'm not going to say you can never see some knock retard but if i'm habitually seeing knock retard or knock retard is chronic then there's something wet and going i'm not saying the engine is blowing up i either have carbon deposits all right or, or i have an injector spray pattern or what have you 
All right. Like I said, there's other things you have an air leak, whatever. But the thing we could say those are the most common. So the thing is that now, what I tried to explain to these people is that if you put, if you have an engine that is experiencing an a normal combustion event on whatever octane fuel, whatever number you want to say, right? I'm picking on 87, so 87 octane fuel. My Fiesta goes down the road, 87 octane, baby. She don't have no knock retard whatsoever. I pull a hill in six gear on I-80 going across Pennsylvania. All right, the motor's loaded, no knock retard, what have you. Now, I put 93 octane in it. I put 95 octane in it. I put 100 octane in it. That would be, it's totally wasted. Totally, totally wasted. And lots of times, it's not only wasted that you will get less fuel mileage because whether the gas is ethanol enhanced or non-ethanol enhanced, then lots of, in, in most instances, the components that they use to raise the octane actually steals energy rate in BTU. So most higher octane fuels have less BTU content than then then the lower octane the higher is because they whatever they're putting in it there's a lot of different ways to get there and if they're using ethanol so if you looked at e30 it has less energy content than e0 and if i'm getting if i'm getting i'm just gonna get a drink of water i'm getting all revved up here i'm gonna uh i'm gonna put my uh drag motor on okay i forgot to kill a mite though but if you're getting so the telltale is if you have an engine that is designed to run and have a normal combustion event on low on a certain octane fuel and it requires a higher octane fuel to return its performance then the thing is that that engine has degraded and historically the the degradation is in what i said carbon deposits and injector spray pattern all right so now some other guy chimed into this well, i got a ram truck all right i got a ram truck and i uh, you know the more ethanol i go up from e0 to e10 to e15 to e30 says the it runs better and better and the mileage increases then only drops off at e85 all right now at e85 which is a great product a ton of octane in it if you need it but then again, if you need that much octane on a Ram pickup truck that is calling for 87 octane, now some of those Rams, like the 6.4 Hemis, are calling right from the factory for 93 octane. So that means that that engine is octane hungry coming right from the factory, right? Why is it octane hungry? I have some theories on it. I think it's got a crappy combustion chamber. I think it doesn't have good burn speed in it. All right, but I may be 100% wrong. No disrespect to Ram whatsoever. All right, but but uh, but whatever. But it, but it's oct- it's octane hungry right from the factory. So the thing is that so if you're octane hungry right from the factory and you're putting 87 octane in it, of course it's going to run better and have more performance and better fuel economy with 93 because you're giving it what it wants right so the thing basically is is that you know forget about the the analogy that i made with the with the finger in the vice when taking painkillers right so if i come to you today or you come to me and say ray how do you feel i feel great thank god 
Here, take two aspirin. What should I take? Oh, take two aspirin. How do you feel? I feel great. Take four aspirin. Take six aspirin. Take the whole bottle of aspirin. I don't have a headache. I feel fine. All right. So the thing basically is, is that when you are when you when your engine is responding to a higher octane fuel, which is nothing to do with the fuel density. All right. Because I've spoken about this on the show, and I know one of my 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 uh, charter listeners, Mike Werner from Minnesota, that he's gone back and forth with me with his friend of his with a with a truck and and fuel density and mileage and what have you. Octane has nothing. We're talking. We're talking about octane. The ability to resist combustion through pressure and heat and wait for the octane spark plug. So the rule of so not the rule, the telltale is just like if you go out into the field and you see corn turning yellow, you know there's a very good possibility that's that it that it it's 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 nitrogen limited, right? But and if you so if you throw more octane at an engine that was designed for a lower octane fuel, then that engine has degraded. All right, and and that is why it's having the octane, uh, the 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 additional octane to return back to its uh, its original performance. All right, now the thing is, go to the next level. So with this knock retard, and I'm saying to him, every engine. I mean, I've been involved with calibrations. All right, there's something called the SKZ spark knock zone, and what happens is that that's identified by the manufacturer the guy who's doing the calibrations at what particular point you're going to have abnormal combustion they call it spark knock zone and almost every calibration leaves the factory two to three degrees from mbt maximum brake torque under the spark knock zone so if they so if they start to see some some abnormal combustion i'm throwing a number at, at 35 degrees timing total timing or under this load situation 35 degrees then what happens is that that engine leaves the factory with a calibration with 32 degrees in it because they know that as time goes on that they that they can't run right off the bump right off the spark knock zone now if you go and you put and you put an aftermarket calibration in it all right what they're doing is they're taking that spark knock zone and either bumping it right up to it and they're doing some other tricks also but just talking about that so the, so what these people from these biofuels yeah, and the part that frustrates me and yeah, I mean who the heck knows I mean they probably wouldn't listen to this but the fact you know they, they have the resources you know at least educate the people that that are your mouthpieces instead of talking a bunch of trash about octane 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 and the thing is that so now and you know why do I want them not to talk a bunch of trash because you never you, you never get anywhere by fooling people and I'm not saying they're inherently looking to fool or trick people like a shell game but so if you so if i come to you and i buy a higher octane fuel and let's say arguably i listen to this guy and i take my fiesta and i put e30 in it which has much less energy content than than e0 or e10 and i put e30 in it all right and say i listen to this guy wow man i want that i want that high octane baby i want it right and I get five miles per gallon, four miles per three miles per gallon less. All right. So then, then what do you do? Run in like a used car salesman and say, "Well, oh, it's cheaper at the pump because it, ethanol is cheaper than a barrel of oil." Well, yeah. Well, I'm not going to deny that. 
all right, but you told me I'm going to get better mileage. But now you're telling me, I'm, well, when I didn't get better mileage, why? Because I'm taking aspirins and I don't have a headache. I'm not going to do anything. It's not doing anything for me. All right. So the thing is that so now, now, no, forget about the better mileage. You didn't get better mileage. That we're gonna, we're going, you know, you you could save twenty cents, thirty cents a gallon at the pump, and then maybe that is a good motive for you. All right. Maybe you say, well, I lost five miles per gallon or three miles per gallon, but I work it out. It's cheaper to because it's X amount of dollars less than the pump. At the pump, you know, the thing is that the the message here is that octane inner fuel that the, the, that the goal of every production engine designer is to have an engine to produce a product that does not want a lot of octane that will go off of it the, in here in North America, 87 octane, all right, that'll run well and, and not have an abnormal combustion event on 87 octane. The thing basically is, is that you have to recognize that the way a closed-loop timing system is, remember I said you use a feed-forward approach, not a feedback approach, is that it doesn't add timing. It doesn't, oh, this guy put in higher-octane fuel. All it does is subtract. So if you have an engine that is calibrated to have an, a, a normal combustion event, a 93-octane fuel, and you put 87 octane fuel and it happens to experience an abnormal event you could drive that engine to california at 70 miles an hour and don't push it and it's never going to experience an abnormal event on 87 octane fuel all right so it's not that it's it's, it's going to see this all the time and the thing is and now you put 100 octane and 99 octane whatever and you, it doesn't add timing it only has the ability to take timing out but on the feed forward Whereas on an, on a fuel system, you could you 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 have a base injector pulse with you that you could either that is a little bit more flexibility. You could shorten that pulse width, or you could extend that pulse width. You're not, but only has a certain level of flexibility. So the fact of the matter is, the the thing is, as I get ready to close here and go to my letter, which we haven't had a letter for a long time. Not that we didn't have it. I didn't put it in the show. I would just answer people directly. Is that octane, I'm debunking octane. Octane is like aspirin. If you don't have a headache, you could over-octane the engine. You're not going to hurt it. But oftentimes, you are going to have less fuel mileage, which is what these people are all talking about, and less and. and no less performance but less fuel mileage because of the energy content so the take-home message here is that if your engine was designed to be fueled on 87 octane and i'm using my fiesta as an example and the owner's manual says 87 octane doesn't say you can't put anything higher 87 octane minimum and you put 92 93 95 99 100 you are going to see no perceptible change in fuel mileage you're going to see no perceptible change it's going to be more of a placebo effect than anything i'm not going to say well maybe there's a condition where you hit the throttle real fast and maybe it seems to be a little bit better but if you don't have a headache or if you take ag ag agronomically if my corn does not need nitrogen and probably a better example of that is that you put a fungicide on a plant all right if the plant doesn't have a fungus in it it doesn't have any disease in it the fungicide is doing nothing 
So now you could go and say, well, okay, you know, I put it, I put three passes of a fungicide on it, and I picked up 30 bushels per acre versus my control. Well, yes, because the control had disease in it, and then the plants that you were hitting with the fungicide, you kept the disease away from it. So yes, it made 30 bushels per acre. So if you had no disease, then the other thing said, well, I had, I put fungicide on three passes, one pass, whatever you want to talk about, and I picked up zero bushels per acre. That's right, because the plant didn't have a disease, it didn't have a headache, the engine was not experiencing abnormal combustion, but use the octane demand that it's thirsty it's hungry for octane of saying hey i better run some good chemicals through here to clean the carbon out of this engine i better run some good chemicals through here to also clean the injector spray pattern i better go if it's a mass airflow sensor car engine i better go and get and clean that mass airflow sensor so that transfer table and it's issuing the right spark advance for the load and the airflow so so just like a, a, a tissue test on a plant is telling you what nutrients are getting in the plant, the engine's appetite for octane is going to be a very accurate indicator of something that is not right in that engine as far as its combustion event is concerned. And that's all it is. But the, you know, the whole goal is not to have, is not to have an engine one octane and and if you say well i don't know what the heck to do about it i'm gonna buy the god bless you you're not hurting anybody all right if it runs better for you but it is a problem inside the engine inside that that's causing it to want more octane so you want to argue with me reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farm machinery digest.com but now we're going to get text rubinowitz the hot rod farm hot rod farmer the hot rod man And that's Tex Rubinowitz from Ripsaw Records. And I missed not having him on here the past couple of weeks because I wasn't doing a letter. <clears throat> Alrighty. So I'm going to paraphrase this. I'm just going to tell you what it's about. It's Mr. Al Cook from Cleveland, Ohio. And he has a 97 Mustang with a V6 in it that he autocrosses. And I did, and he actually came to me through Hemming's Muscle Machines. And I did a... Uh, I wrote a piece for Hemmings, actually it was in my column, but it consumed the whole column. And it was about catalytic converters. So th- the impetus for him contacting me was was about that letter. So he wants to know whether he should take the catalytic converters off of this 97 Mustang. There's you know, people in the audience going, yeah, 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 cut it off, right? You, all right, all right. And <clears throat> for his, this Mustang that he autocrosses, he said he's not concerned with any emission liability because in ohio he says the car is 25 years old and at 25 years older or older you could do what you want with it. there's no emission liability and what he's uh, what he wants to know whether it's going to give him more power but what he's concerned with is that will he be killing some bottom end of torque by taking the catalytic converters off because he always heard that you want to have some back pressure to make low speed torque so that is and it's an it was an excellent excellent question and that's why i felt i would address it with you my audience here on idle chatter 
Well, number one, this is the debunk show, right? The debunk episode with debunking octane, with debunking back pressure. Back pressure is in opposition to flow. So if you were to go and you would close off, I'm going to close off one nostril, close off my nostrils. I talk like this, right? I can't breathe as good, closing off my nostrils. So back pressure is in opposition to flow, and that's flow out of the engine. So the thing basically is, is that to answer the first part of, or the, the last part of his question, is that that is an old wives' tale, just like we need octane, that you need back pressure in an engine to make low-speed torque. Now, what has happened, just like with octane, you say, well, I, then somebody's going to you know, write a letter to me, or I had a 69 GTO of a road or whatever they had corvette and uh, you know uh, i put headers on it and a big exhaust and the thing slowed down and rah, 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 rah. and just like the person who's saying to me well i put higher octane fuel i get better fuel economy there's a reason for that all right the thing is that when an on an engine which is an auto cycle engine there's four strokes and i've discussed this before there's intake which is really called cylinder fill there's compression Right, which definitely stays the same and what we call power is actually called expansion because the flame is expanding against the piston and the fourth loop is not and the fourth function is not is not called exhaust it's called the pumping loop on an engine when the combustion event after the combustion event ends and the exhaust needs to get out with the spent gases the inert gases need to get out the pressure and temperature in the cylinder is high from the leftover gases so what happens is the exhaust valve cracks open when the exhaust valve cracks open that's called blowdown. you want to have and it's going because the pressure is escaping from the bore because the pressure in the exhaust port of the cylinder head is lower than in the cylinder so you want to have the most exhaust gases escape during blowdown what doesn't once that pressure equalizes it takes the piston going back up the top dead center with the exhaust valve open to evacuate that cylinder and that's and that's a diesel or gas engine turbocharged normally aspirated carbureted lawnmower engine whatever one cylinder twenty thousand cylinders all right same thing is happening the same dynamics are happening so the whole idea is to get the most pressure to be relieved or released during blowdown because if not you're going to use energy to push that exhaust gas out so now the thing basically what happens is that it is not the the restriction in the exhaust that the engine wants but is another dynamic which no one talks about so it's a combination it's the exhaust velocity the velocity of the exhaust going out the head and through the pipe, whether it's a header with a three-inch collector or a 20-foot-long exhaust system. So it's the exhaust velocity that is going to determine whether it's going to impact the engine to a certain extent. So what basically happens, so what the so, but people are putting it all in the same same bucket and no disrespect to mr cook because that's an old that's an you know an old wives tale oh an engine wants some you take you take the um you know you, you want a little bit of back pressure to make compression that's like saying i want my nose partially plugged all the time all right 
or, or saying, my engine really wants, you know, the air filter really closed off half the time, and that's why I make more power. So applying critical thinking to it, look at all the engine controls we have today, right? Variable runner intake manifold, cylinder deactivation, variable cam timing, variable, everything is variable, right? Then if that were the case, the manufacturers would have a variable exhaust. And I'm not talking like one on a Mustang or a Corvette or some other vehicles that they have a bypass so it makes more noise than they would have it the other way. They'd say, man, what we're going to do is we're going to really close this exhaust up and we're going to choke it. We're going to choke it so we make a lot of torque downstairs and then as the end is that, then we'll start to open it up and let it breathe. There's not an engine that has a variable flow to choke the engine exhaust. So the whole idea is that that you want back pressure to make torque is 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 i'll be crude because i'm in a crude mode that's like saying my girlfriend got pregnant which used to be in the 60s 70s girlfriend got pregnant from sitting on the toilet seat in the mcdonald's all right so uh, it's just as crazy and and i'm a christian man and i excuse me for the crudeness of that comment so it doesn't want back pressure but oftentimes what you did to remove the to to re, to take the catalytic converter off, which is not the case, or something else, you put a bigger pipe. Is that you slowed down the exhaust velocity, and then you're tagging it in your mind, saying, "Oh, you're right there. See it? See it? It wanted some back pressure. That's why we wanted back pressure. It's just like a person. I mean, say, well, if you have a solid solid lift the cam in a motor." and then you loosen up, the, let's say if the valve lash is supposed to be 20, and you bring it up to 30, and the car goes faster, makes more power, it says you have, you know, it doesn't want that it wants more lash, is that you had the wrong cam. I mean, they grind the dynamics of the valve opening events. When you put more lash in it, you took some of the lift out of it, then you had the valve open later. So the thing is, it liked the, that opening later. It's not that it liked the different lash. Then again, it's like putting your finger in a vice and taking painkillers. So this all comes into play. So it is exhaust velocity that is the key to having an efficient event and the whole efficient, the, the, the cylinder evacuation, evacuation event is keyed upon having as much of the spent gases exit during blowdown and have the highest exhaust velocity through the pipe to pull those gases out so there's less energy required by the piston on the fourth stroke which is not the exhaust stroke which is the pumping loop to push the push the exhaust the spent gases out so back pressure is not what an engine wants all right the thing is that but you have to remember if you're looking at a 97 mustang now i'm not saying that his converters aren't plugged i'm not saying that all right but i'm saying that everything is good right that it's flowing the right potential it's not exhaust restriction but as it left the factory as it was designed it was not exhaust restriction and to tell you the truth when i had my shop we gutted a ton of catalytic converters and unless you really, I mean, the, the sound that a car changed, the engine changed, it sounded throatier, which was nice, blah, 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 right? But the fact of the matter is that unless you did something to really, really uh, improve the volumetric efficiency of the engine, it did absolutely nothing. You took an NA engine, 
uh, like Camaro, Mustang, Firebird, whatever, Corvette, and you gutted the converters on it, it did nothing, all right? You did it You did it on the Grand National because it was turbocharged. It did nothing. You went from the stock 13, 14 pounds of boost to 18, 19 pounds of boost, and you gutted the converter. It picked it up because that converter was now starting to become a bottleneck at the higher boost level going into the engine. I mean, look at a, uh, I'm going to say a Hellcat uh, or Demon. Look at a Demon, right? 940 horsepower through converters because those converters were designed for that application. Now on a almost a 1,000 horsepower engine, I mean, if you took those converters off, I'm sure it'd probably make a little bit more because that was the balancing act between trying to pass emissions and to make 940 horsepower. But the fact of the matter is, that it's it's not the take-home message here is that no engine likes back pressure all right it likes exhaust velocity and oftentimes what you did to eliminate to to minimize back pressure slowed the exhaust velocity down and that's why the engine was lazier downstairs because the velocity the piston velocity was low and the exhaust velocity was even lower now than it was as designed so no one likes to have a plug nose and neither does an engine so thank you so much for listening today i'm sorry i drove you nuts with this stuff but i just you know not to belabor it is that i care i want the ethanol industry to succeed i want the national i want the farmers who are growing corn to succeed i want the biofuels industry to succeed it's an american-based fuel it's in lots of it's a cleaner burning fuel to a certain extent all right it, it's got all positives of it but please 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 don't sell it on octane and just keep in mind if that that engine needs an excessive amount of octane over what it was calibrated for then that is you just like my mother when i was a kid would feel my forehead and say hey you got a temperature and that would be the catalyst for her to take the thermometer out and stick it under my tongue all right so the fact of the matter is is that so if your engine is wants more octane than what then it was designed for that it was calibrated for then and and you'll get uh, let me put this you're getting a substantial better fuel economy or performance then you most likely have a carpened up engine dirty injectors and a skew a dirty mass airflow sensor so listen thank you so much for tuning in and know that the hot rod farmer is born for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved mother have a blessed week and uh, catch that show with matt with matt hagan you really can enjoy it let me know if you listen to it and you like it thank you bye-bye